Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, it cares Levert. It's cold. Levert. Back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Corn Roast Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Always want to get your feedback. Uh, let us know what you think we could improve on, what, what you like, what you uh, what you dislike. Uh, we do the show for you. Also because we love basketball, but we would love to hear from you, of course. Um, another episode of Pacers After Dark tonight. The Pacers are now 15-17, and 17, two games below 500. I believe this is the first time this far in the season they've been below 500 since 14-15. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how the season's going. Uh, psyched to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Tom Lewis. Tom, how are you doing tonight? Oh, not bad. We may have to uh, change this to Pacers after loss. Oh, <laughs> yeah. hey, sorry. Yeah, man, getting the zingers off early. Going bad. Also, also amped to be joined by a, a good friend of mine and one of my favorite people to talk hoops with from over at the Strickland Posting and Toasting and also the co-host of the uh, the newly anointed Jackman Sports Podcast, Matthew Miranda. Matthew, how are you doing tonight, man? Very excited to be here. It was uh, there was something eerie about knowing I would be coming on a Pacer podcast and watching the Nick Indiana game get very tight and go down on the wire and actually feel like it mattered. <laughs> it took me back, man. It took me back. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, too, the fact that the team is now below 500 by more than one game took me back, too. That's uh, like, <laughs> This is not me trying to rub in the last decade, but I think this is the first time that the Knicks have been ahead of the Pacers this late in the season in the standings probably. Yeah, since, probably. what, 20, 2012? It's 2013, I would guess. 2013, I would guess, yeah. Yeah, it's right around there. So a, a, a new era <laughs> in Pacers basketball, I guess would be the way to put it. The first <laughs> thing I have to rip off with, because I've been sitting in uh, in my at my desk waiting to talk about it for a half hour just thinking about it, Tom, TJ McConnell played 46 and a half minutes tonight. And I get that Malcolm Brogdon was out. I get that the coaching staff clearly does not trust Aaron Holiday to run the offense. But playing a player 46 minutes is ridiculous. Like, I just don't think that there's a, a legitimate rationale you can you can come to for playing somebody 46 minutes. I don't I like I don't care. You can say I'm soft, you can say whatever. I'll tell you you're wrong. Uh, but I'll also say, like, this is that, that was ridiculous to me. That's my biggest gripe with tonight. I think there are a lot of things we can look at and talk about, but I just thought that I mean, you can see how gassed he was. He played 22, 22 minutes straight in the opening half, completely gasses out, and you can see that that leads to New York going on that big run. A lot of that is New York starting to execute extremely well, but also TJ was really struggling defensively because he was so tired. And then you see later on in the game, I mean, that gaffe that happens right at the end when the Pacers have a chance to tie, if TJ hasn't played, I mean, again, he still would have had to play a lot of minutes regardless, but if he hasn't played 46 freaking minutes by the time that inbounds pass is happening, I don't think that he's making the same kind of mistake. And maybe that's a reductive way to look at it, but regardless, 46 minutes, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I kept looking for that little wind-up knob on the back of his back and at timeouts, I was thinking Bjork was just spinning it and keeping him going. Um, it, it was incredible. There was a couple other 
times where I thought, oop, I think he would, um, um, you know, the inbounds pass, a classic TJ Steele move. Um, there was one kind of late in the game with quickly, I think, and he was about three steps late getting to it. Um, and that was just probably positioning, but my thought was, oh, you know, he hasn't he, he coming in with that fresh bounce that we usually see him. Um, he's out there, um, you know, just entrenched in the game at this point. And you're right, that is not a role that you're expecting to see him play. He's the, he's a quick burst, couple steals, great passes, get get things going off the bench. And um, those extended minutes were incredible. I mean, you know, in general, seeing him run around doesn't seem like he's tired and everything. But again, that's that's not a role that that um, you know you want to see happen long term for the Pacers um, for their for their fortunes going forward. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I just had to get that off my chest, and I think ultimately I'd say that's a role that no one should have, even if it's the even if it's the playoffs. I don't know if someone should be playing forty six minutes. Like, and he, play, yeah, he played playoffs, well, but, you know. But that's yeah, no, he minutes. he had a really good game. I mean, he had the he had the best plus minus on the team. Uh, no, second. That just kidding. I looked at the completely wrong person. But he was a plus on on court. He was plus one again, single game plus minus. But again, if you play the entire game, I guess it's indicative of something. So. Um, but yeah, finishes 17, six and 12 was efficient from the floor. He had a, he had a good game and, and the Pacers let up four points when he was off court. Um, his primary guard, most of the night, I, I tweeted this out. Where were you when, uh, when we saw D Rose and TJ McConnell, uh, go at it for, a, it, it was longer than three minutes straight <laughs> now. Um, but Matthew, how do you feel about Derek Rose? I, uh, I remember I was a little bit, I don't say concerned about the trade happening, but, I did listen into the Strickland pod and, and uh, also Jonathan Macri over at Knicks Film School just to get a gauge of uh, how Knicks, uh, my, my Knicks friends were doing in regards to, uh, you know, uh, Leon Rose bringing in one of the Tibbs specials after Taj Gibson had already been brought back in too. Um, but Derek Rose just seemed to fit in pretty well so far. What have you thought of him? Obviously, I mean, tonight I thought he played pretty well. Um, but overall, what have you thought of what he's brought to, uh, to the Garden? Uh, Rose's game has been a definite positive since he returned. Um, initially, it was it was the first game he played. He checked in with quickly, pretty fairly early, and we had all been thinking we're going to see this, but it was a surprise to see that quickly that Thibodeau went to the two of them together. And they had a, a stretch of a few games where they looked really, really good together. Then they both began to struggle a bit, uh, particularly shooting. And when Alfred Payton got um, injured with his sore hamstring and Rose was able to move into the starting lineup, he has looked just like a seamless fit. Um, if you've watched it, if you've seen the Knicks this year, because of the development of Julius Randle as the, the point forward in the hub, the Knicks really, thankfully, um, haven't had to ask their point guards to create much. And Alfred Payton has been very aggressive this year as a shooter. He's taking, I think, a career high in um, field goal attempts like per minute. His assists are way down. He's, he's, he's looked to play a certain role because that's what they need. But Alfred Payton, anyone will tell you, is not the best cutout um, player to be a scoring point guard. Yep. Derek Rose fits that bill much more naturally. Um, Jonathan Charks just had a piece in the ringer about Emmanuel quickly and how his game seems a, a very good fit um, to play with the starters. And I think Rose, in a different sense, obviously not the shooter that quickly is, but um, he takes some pressure off Randall, which is sometimes um, I think a really good thing for Randall and for the Knicks because 
Randall as a point forward is a bonus, but I, I don't think you, I think it's very helpful for him to have a, a, another playmaker along with RJ Barrett. The Knicks for years have been starved of players who can create for themselves or for others. To have now three guys in the starting lineup who can do that um, is a major advantage. And Rose, I would say more than Peyton, probably fits that bill effectively and is not any less effective as a distributor. He had, I think, 11 assists tonight. Um, it's not his first instinct. But since Rose has been there, um, he looks and sounds like very happy and very, um, very much in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's great to hear because I was uh, yeah, I, I've only caught probably four or five of the games since D Rose has been with the Knicks. Um, but yeah, like I mean, just transitioning, Julius Randle was awesome tonight. Um I, I thought he frankly outdueled Domas to an extent. And part of it was um Domas was asked to do uh, it, it's diff it's slightly different because you know you're missing so many guys in the starting lineup at the same time. Uh, going head to head, I, I thought that was that was probably my favorite part of watching tonight. Overall, I was telling Tom before we got on, like um, I felt this game was kind of a difficult watch just from a Pacers perspective. Their offense was really gummy, and um, they had a lot of a, a lot of turnovers. Obviously, some some errors that popped up, but um, yeah. watching Domas and, and Julius Randle both defend each other and go at each other was uh, was kind of a joy. Um, Julius's game expanding the way that it has this year has just been ridiculous to me because i remember he used to be the kind of guy who i mean rather fairly or unfairly however people want to look at it i i mean he's always been considered just an empty calories player um that's just not him anymore and it's kind of been beautiful to see it and you can see how much everything revolves around him and what he's doing um i also felt there's like a, i don't want to say that there's a rivalry building between this team but you could like there was some chippiness tonight and i like that absolutely. i also absolutely. told tom i think if, if this game went one more quarter i think domas would have gotten thrown out um he was <laughs> he was very close he was bordering on it i i thought um especially i was i was very shocked that he didn't get a second tech after mm -hmm. uh after that 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 play with about a minute and a half left i thought he was Pretty close to deserving of it, but uh, you could see the the ref just telling him to calm down. It was that kind of night tonight, man. Yeah, if you recall the famous um, incident between Michael Jordan and Reggie Miller when oh, Jordan almost clawed out Miller's eyes, it was striking at the time to see you know a player at that level just be bothered to be pissed off enough at anybody to react like that. For the Knicks fan, Demontis Sabonis basically is Michael Jordan. So seeing him just in that in that state of rage about anything was as much of a visual testament to how far this team has come as maybe as anything else that I've seen this year. Sabonis is always a guy who shoots like 10 of 11 against the Knicks, has like 25 and 12 and six assists and like gets what he wants and, and owns it. And seeing him, I thought, yeah, at the end too, I thought he looked like he had had it. He looked like he had more than had it. And, and, and it's rare because the game was still in the balance, but like he just looked like he was going to go. And I, I think you're right. The refs were, were well restrained. Um, Julius Randle has come in in tremendous shape. And I think a couple things that get maybe overlooked some time in terms of Randle's progression. He spent the first few years of his career with a Laker organization that was at their complete nadir in terms of disarray. He went to the Pelicans. He signed a two-year deal, but he had, I'm pretty sure he had the option on the second. So it was basically a, a one-year prove-yourself thing, and he did. Um, and then he came to New York, and last year was a disaster on a number of levels. But mm -hmm. this year, Randall had a little continuity, which he hasn't had before. And you could see even in the preseason, 
Whereas last year, Randall would spin, and I, and I do think some of this also is a credit to Tom Thibodeau and this, the fact that unlike last season, the Knicks have had a professional grade coaching staff in place from the beginning. But last year when Randall would, would spin into traffic or get doubled, um, you could see that, you know, RJ Barrett was a rookie and he just didn't know sometimes where people would be or he, didn't, he had no vision. And when you, even in the preseason, you could see when he would spin into trouble a combination of, I think, better patience on his part, but also just understanding like, okay, Reggie Bullock will be here and Peyton will do this. And, and as him and Barrett especially played more and more time together, I think you're seeing benefits of continuity. Um, and, but I also think the credit goes to the player. Um, he's been unbelievable from three-point distance. He's over 40%. That opens up everything for him mm. on the inside. Um, but even on the inside, like, for a, a league that has increasingly de-emphasized the mid-range, Randall's, you know, his baseline pull-ups, his little mid-range shot, he's he's been brilliant from everywhere. And it's one of the great surprise stories, uh, particularly on a positive, for this team really in a long time. I mean, people were ready to trade Randall in the offseason for yeah. just even a late first-round pick and throw in Obi Toppin and let's go. And... Now Randall, uh, in addition to five other Knicks, is getting MVP chance. When he <laughs> yes, it was uh, it was very That's apparent good. on my TV tonight. <laughs> They're loving this team clearly. Yeah, no, it's cool. I was one of my friends tweeted out too. They were like, and this is with with. I mean, there's like what four thousand people in MSG. Imagine if there's nineteen thousand. Like shit, mm-hmm. that would be insane. <laughs> um, so okay, I, I do have to I do have to transition this to one thing that is uh, super positive for Pacers fans. Tom, Gogo Bataze is blocked tonight. Gogo Bataze is blocked sent me <laughs> into a, an entire different stratosphere of emotion. Um, seeing Gogo actually get to play for the – I think this was his first first real run in, like, two games. Um, that was awesome. And I thought he all around had a pretty solid game. Um, he, of course, he did not hit threes because as, as good as the threes look – they just don't fall. Uh, they will eventually. I keep telling myself and telling people, but he was a team high plus 10 in 11 minutes. So again, I'm going to use single games plus plus minus to extrapolate every ounce of uh, positivity <laughs> I can to you people. So. Um, hey, yeah, uh, Matthew, you got like the, I don't know how many people on Pacers Twitter you follow, but it is a shit show right now. It is, a, <laughs> it is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. And I'm coming from this as, as not a fan. So I'm trying to just to impart to people. It's going to be okay. It, you, you didn't grow up in the pre LeBron James Cav era. Okay. That was Ricky Davis was not your leading scorer and, and no. leading leader on court. I mean, Oh yeah. They staged so, Darius miles. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Never forget when Darius miles said that he had, uh, that LeBron had to earn his spot on the team. Always love yeah. that. Uh, and he, he started over Darius from day one. So it's, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Love that. I was oh, man. your intro when you mentioned um, the stat about the Pacers being this far below 500 this late in the season for the first time ever. I, I just felt like, I was seeing you sad about like you having a mold infection infestation, like in your vacation home. <laughs> I'm just like renting an apartment somewhere. Like um, <laughs> 15 and 17 this late is something I would have been fine with. Um, and it's a testament to how, how really either bizarre this season is or how out of shape I am as a Nick fan to recognizing what a contending team is like that I noticed. <laughs> so I, I covered the Nick game. They beat Sacramento two nights ago. And when I finished that recap, I noted that the Knicks were 
a half game behind. Their next game was against Indiana, who they were a half game behind for the four seed. And 48 hours later, when I go to check the standings before the game, the Pacers are like ninth or tenth. Yep. Um, it's been that it's it's that astonishing of a strange year to me that 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 kind of thing can just I, I had forgotten. And 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 watching the game, there was a point when the Knicks lost Taj Gibson, and I found myself unironically saying like, oh my God, we lost Taj Gibson. Like this is terrible <laughs> news because <laughs> these games matter now. And like, and the, the attend the recognition of like, okay, the season series is on the line. And like Indiana has, has talented big men. Like we can't lose Taj Gibson. Like it's been a long time. So I, I'm sure that some of the, the Pacer fans are freaking out. It gets better as they say. <laughs> um, it really yeah. does. <laughs> it just takes a, uh... 15 years with a small blip in between. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, no. Okay. Well, speaking of big men, uh, miles Turner, uh, it's two back-to-back games where like defensively, he was a force tonight. I thought he was fantastic defensively tonight, uh, altered so much at the rim. Had, I like his second quarter was one of his best defensive quarters he's had all year finished with four blocks and a steal. Um, but goes one of eight from three. Uh, he had some nice moments uh, driving inside, uh, especially late. But Tom, he finished 27% from three in February after going 30, 30, 38% in January. So obviously a monumental lull after where he's been at. But you can only go up from here, right? So there's that. Um, but tonight, I mean, if he just hits two, like two of those threes, it's a whole world of difference. Again, reductive basketball. But at the same point, that's just kind of been the story of the last couple nights. Uh, I mean, Miles went – I think he missed – did he miss all, both of his threes yesterday? Or no, he, he hit one three yesterday, but I think he finished one of one of four or five. Um, regardless, like, it's been uh, it's been painful. I mean, we, we've seen now, uh, as, as I'm sure you can attest to, Matthew, it's not just the Knicks. There was a – I screenshot it earlier today. I forgot to put it on Twitter. But there was a point in the game yesterday – where the Celtics had all five players touching the paint when Domas was inside on a post up. And it's just, it's so telling. Like, I think there's a, there's this general perception I'm sure from Nate Duncan and John Hollinger that Domas is just demanding to post up and try and destroy the glass. But uh, really there's just so little that's happening off ball. That's warranting any kind of defensive adjustment yeah. or defensive awareness to it. Like, it's it's just at a point, especially too. You don't have it like without Malcolm tonight. There's nobody who can who is a, a real three level threat that is going to open things up for the rest of your offense. Um, and when you're asking your guy to play inside out, but there's no way to actually get things going out. Like it's a yeah. uh, it's a lot. Yeah. It, it's very difficult to it, like like we mentioned. It gets gummy, and it's not the entire game that it's going like that, but. So often you're seeing like, I mean, Domas had four guys on him multiple times tonight. Um, and I know a lot of people were complaining about not getting fouls and whatnot, but it well, well, I, I will admit that Domas could certainly have a better whistle. We've talked about this before time. We don't oh, talk yeah. in depth about it. Um, I have been accused of being anti-homer, but at the same point, I think it's just, that's, that's where the team's at right now. That This is not a good team with, with the, the amount of injuries and guys that they have, it's not a good team. And I think it, it's more important that we get to a stage where we admit that instead of pretending that this team should be like, should be the fourth or, 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 or third seed in the East, because frankly, there's not a place to be that right now. 
Yeah, the the um, you know, I think we kind of were talking about it before we were on here tonight, but you know, when with Sabonis being that hub in there and not having you know guys like Warren or Levert or Old Depot, whoever threats off the ball, who can move and and you know draw some defensive attention. You're right. I mean, Poets now are just saying somebody else beat us. And, you know, with, with Turner down the stretch, but I think Sumner hit that three and got him within one just inside of two minutes. And then they were they couldn't get anything going after that. Turner had a great look, missed it. Yep. And then he had the turnover. Um, and, you know, they're making good basketball plays, it, you know, until it comes to actually getting a freaking ball in the hole. So, um, that you know, but, and that's the thing. I think teams are willing to let, um, to let someone other than Domas beat him. We said that the other night. It's like somebody's got to rise up at at one time. And you know, early in the season, they were they were winning those games. But you know, you had um, if it wasn't Broadman or Oladipo, you know, or Sabonis, you know, one of those three guys was a, a legit threat to close out the game. And and they won. Those close games, and now, um, you know, Broadman's kind of fallen back when he has been in there. Obviously, he wasn't available tonight, um, and then no one else has, has been uh, the option that you need to, you know, take all that attention away from Domas. Yeah, exactly. And another point we didn't even bring up: uh, I think one of the quiet, more quiet, twenty-four point games that I've ever witnessed. But RJ Barrett was insanely good tonight. Oh, Part of that is because the Pacers have the Pacers. no one who can defend a wing. But, I mean, Justin tried his best on him, but Justin wasn't even guarding him the whole game. But RJ was fantastic. <laughs> Continues to just – he is Reggie Miller when – he just embodies Reggie Miller when he plays the Pacers. Um, I know he's been on a tear shooting over, like, the last uh, 10 or 15 games. I think he shot, like, over 40% from three in March. I mean, March, Jesus Christ, uh, in February. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's really turning into something, and I, I've really enjoyed watching him. Um, but tonight, yeah, I mean, he was killer tonight. He's averaging, uh, well, 25 a game against the Pacers. <laughs> it like feels like 24, it. 25. No, he is. Oh, he actually yeah, is. He is. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he yeah. lights them up. He, he, he sees them on the schedule. He doesn't need the alarm clock in the morning. He's up, ready to go. So <laughs> that's that's a problem going forward. <laughs> he and Randall. Um, yeah, I, I like it. It'll be a good rivalry going forward here. But yeah, no, he he um, is a guy that I enjoy watching play when he plays like that. And uh, I've had to see a little bit too much though this year. <laughs> he started out really slow. He, he opened the year with I think three of twenty four mm-hmm. on three pointers, and since then has been close to forty percent. And you can see in his game, his shooting. Um, he's he's concentrating his shot attempts two more efficient, I think, areas for him. So you're not seeing so much of RJ um, going into a dribble pull-up from from near the top of the arc. He's concentrating more on, like, shooting off the catch on in corner threes, and it just looks very comfortable doing that. I think the biggest um, change in his game that's helped his efficiency, other than the obvious thing that it just looks slower for him, it looks like he has more of a sense of what he wants to do. RJ, for a while, had a problem of when he would drive to the basket, all his vision pretty much was on trying to finish. Um, and there was there was one play tonight where it was in transition. He tried to go up, I think, over Turner, and like it wasn't going to happen, and it didn't happen. But for the mm-hmm. most part, 
Um, you saw it late in this game too, especially when he was putting kind of the Pacers away, his ability. I think a lot of Knicks have picked this up from quickly. Um, you, you see, you saw Barrett get ahead of his man and then keep him in a Chris Paul way kind of pinned behind him as he kept working toward the basket and he scored for himself. He created a Randall three off of that also. Barrett has gotten much better at driving and looking to dish rather than because he's not he's not a plus athlete he he's not going to throw down over miles turner but uh, he doesn't have like a, a great floater but when he looks to create the combination of his strength finishing and now the vision and patience when he gets there um has made him a much more efficient player um driving which i think has opened up other things for him yeah he kind of like at least in terms of athletic profile he reminds me a ton of joe johnson just like a real power wing who you're not expecting mm. to get vertical or really beat you with burst, but he's so strong. Um, yeah. So I kind of see that. As, like, I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be a seven-time All-Star, but I, I mean, anything could happen. I if really he plays like. The I, Pacers I really... eighty-two games a year. He'll be a seven-time All-Star. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. No, he'll be a seven-time <laughs> All-NBA player for shit's sake. Um, yeah. I. So okay, we didn't even talk about Emmanuel quickly yet. Emmanuel quickly is awesome. I really enjoyed watching him this year. I know he's cooled off a little bit recently, but. Um, I think Tom, I mean, looking at how tonight has gone, uh, Aaron has played a lot better recently, but I think you look at Emmanuel quickly and that's the mold of what this team really needs Aaron holiday to be being able to come off the bench yep. and do what he's doing. Um, how did you feel about Aaron's game tonight? Uh, he ended up two of 10 from the field, but I felt like he wasn't really forcing too much, uh, was taking what he was given. They just defended him really well. And you missed a yeah, couple I mean, bodies he, as the team has. Right, he had like a couple of those inside. Yeah, the whole team, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the only, you know, I would say a couple of times he forced it inside and, and um, he kind of can get stuck in there. Um, but other than that, I thought, you know, he was, he, I don't know, it's weird. You can see the energy with him, positive or negative almost. Um, and I felt like he he was out there as a, as a, uh, positive force for most of the time he was out there but yeah. um, um he just couldn't get a few of his shots to fall um and but you're right i mean with quickly it's kind of a, a similar thing that you you want to get kind of that microwave offensive burst from a guy like that i mean quickly didn't even play that much tonight but yeah, he, he was, played 13 minutes you can remember him making the shots though right yes so, exactly uh and that that's when you you know you have the impact Looking back on a game like that, it's uh, real valuable. He's just been basketball joy for me. I enjoy – like, he's he just – you could see tonight, yeah. even when uh, I think TJ McConnell fouled him on that three, um, which that was one of the only calls where I guess it was, like, kind of questionable. But he, he definitely – there was contact, so I, I, I felt it was justified. But uh, you, you could see – I mean, quickly he's talking to TJ after it happens. Like, he's just being fun. Like, I don't know. I, I really enjoy watching him play. He's effervescent. He's a lot of fun. Um I'm curious from a Pacer point of view, and I I say this with the respect of a man who watched McConnell when he was a 76er. Oh, no. You know, beat the Knicks with a buzzer beater, be a very kind of annoying play, player against them, but effective, like someone that you figure I probably like him on my team and hate him on others. Um, there was about, I don't know, maybe three plays in a row in the last minute or so when the Pacers' offense seemed to be – we'll have TJ McConnell drive and then see what happens after that. And I, I haven't paid a lot of attention recently to Indiana. I have injury problems. And, and so I, and I haven't seen much of what Nate, um, 
Bjorkren has done with the team that's different. But were you confused that the ball late a lot of the time was in TJ? I know he's he's nominally a point guard, but when you have Sabonis, and I, and I, I guess I understand they're limited, but it, it, I felt relieved. Every time the Pacer possession became McConnell will drive and then stop and try to figure something out. And I know Sabonis would cut around him, but like, if the ball is in McConnell's hands and not Sabonis's hands, I'm fine. I was fine every time it happened. I guess in a larger sense, what I'm asking is, while the Pacers clearly are dealing with injuries, what is going on with this team? Is it a coach? Is there a coaching issue? Is there what? What are the fans thinking is the problem right now with this team? Oh well, the fans think it's a coaching issue. Um, I think. In, in what sense? Oh, uh, well, I already saw in the timeline multiple people saying, did we make the right hire, even though it's 31 games in the season? Oh, my God. Okay. Um, yes, that's that's where that's where the time that's where we're at right now. Um, or I guess it's 33 games into the season. Um, but no, what I just you think, think is the problem. Yeah, my person. This is and Tom, I'll let you go, too. But my personal feel is a I mean, so much of it is the injuries like we talked about. Um, the team was playing really well with Victor. They, of course, struggled without him. You lose so much gravitational uh, ability just out of that, like, like, like we talked about, and guys who just draw defenders. You don't even have to make the shot. Just the fact that people have to worry about you is important. And it's not just making the shot. Like People worry that Justin Holliday is going to make a shot, but they can close out hard to him and not be worried about him driving to the rim and making a play out of that. Like He can every once in a while, but you're not expecting him to. Um, and so I think that's that's I mean, part of the issue is that there hasn't really been a lot of uh, opportunity for other guys to um, try and run the offense. I think the coaching staff has a lot of faith in Malcolm Brogdon, Damanis Sabonis and TJ McConnell. And that is it for running the offense. Uh, Aaron Holiday has the lowest usage percentage of his career. Um, and he really does a lot better with the ball in his hands. So that's been a little bit dejecting because he's just been more of a catch and shoot guy this year. Um I mean, I would love to see Edmund Sumner get a chance to run some things. He got a little excited one time uh, tonight, and he should probably not have taken a uh, that mid ranger he did. But uh, point <laughs> he was feeling it on that one. Yeah, that it. one. I, I saw him do it. I was like, oh, Ed, this is this is this is one of the ones where you're like, oh no, I get it. You're you're feeling good about where you're at, but I don't know if this right. is it. Um, right. But no, ultimately, it's it's tough. Like I get why the coaching staff feels the way that they do. Um, in not having a lot of faith in some of the uh, other players to run offense. But I think you also have to try and give them the opportunity, which is where I've felt the entire year. It feels like very much so uh, apparent that the team is under, well, at least the front office and coaching staff are making it apparent that they want to win, even though this is a year where they're clearly not in a position to win or not to say that they're not like at the moment, definitely not in a position to win um, playing like just playing a guy 46 minutes when you're down in this injured right now, to me, was just questionable. Um, but I, I, I look at basketball differently than some people do, I guess. Um, but I guess, yeah, my point in saying is that there just isn't enough on the team right now to be a plus team. Like um, if you have guys shooting like they're capable of, I think that's different. Like if miles is shooting, if miles is shooting, like, 35% from three, which is his career average. If uh, if Doug McDermott's shooting 38% from three, which is below his career average, I believe, but um, because he's only shooting 33% uh, over like the last 15 games, I think. Um, I would feel a little bit differently, but overall, I mean, there's just, there's not enough top end talent to really 
um, be better than where they're at. I, I personally expected this team to be around 500, and I was with Old Depot. I didn't expect Vic to look as good as he did coming out the gates, but I mean, with where this team's at, I don't, I don't expect them to be a 500 team, uh, hardly. But I would, I would say also, um, yeah, obviously this isn't um, the team they were expecting to play yeah. with, and I know as you mentioned, the team obviously wants to win every game possible. And that's how they've been going at it. But as we continue to go here, I wonder how that may change. Um, I, you know, early, much earlier in the year when they were playing well and we were, you know, and it was like an eight man rotation and, and, you know, we're wondering, feeling like, well, you know, Bjorkman had said he was going to play all these different guys and, and do things differently to get them um, so they're fresh and ready to go at the playoffs. Um, and it looked like at the beginning of the season, it was like, man, he's just going to run these guys into the ground. Um, but then as these injuries have come up and, and, you know, there have been several games where he's just, you know, kind of gone with, you know, you could say the hot hand or the hot group. Um, and let them finish games and, and done things a little bit differently that way, um, trying to give guys opportunities and, and keep them going when they're going. Um, I think he left Sumner out there a little more tonight yeah. than he would have normally. Um, and um, But it comes back to, you know, who are the threats out there, uh, really, and that you can rely on consistently, uh, not even night to night, but quarter to quarter. At this point, you know, guys, guys are having good, good stretches, um, but, but there, there aren't many guys putting full games together at this point. And um, so that's where, it, you know, I feel it's, you know, Bjorkman's also, you know, doing all kinds of crazy different defensive looks, trying, he's doing about everything um, in his back, <laughs> trying to get things going here and you know when you're doing that stuff isn't going to work either so um you know it, you got to give them a, at least a, a fair chance to, to coach a team that even resembles something that um you know the organization thought was going to be uh, the team at the start of the year yeah yeah i totally agree i have uh, i have absolutely no disagreement <laughs> with that Uh, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I think one of the only other things that I really would want to bring up to, uh, what are your expectations for the rest of the year for the Knicks? Or like, what are your thoughts on where they're at? Because it was pretty clear to me, at least in going out and getting Derek Rose, that felt like this, the, the front office was like, okay, we, we want to make the playoffs this year. Um, and in watching the East and watching the Knicks, that's, that, that's definitely doable. Like, I think that that team is good enough to go to the playoffs um, but what are your thoughts on kind of how they're going to handle the rest of the year um, or, or what you'd like to see from them? Yeah, I think once – if you add Tom Thibodeau and the league adds two playoff spots, you're not playing the tank like you're trying to get in. <laughs> yeah. It's been a surprise. It's been a, a – it's definitely been a pleasant surprise. Um, at this point, I think my, my, my desires coming into the season were that I wanted to see the team develop some kind of identity because they haven't had that in forever, and I wanted to see – like tangible development from the young players. And they've done those things. They, they mm -hmm. play very good defense. They had long stretches tonight against the Pacers where their defense like kept them from a game that otherwise in the past they would have fallen behind 
15 and it would have been over. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also a lot of the fact that this is different. Um, about five years ago, the Knicks were, were 500 later in the year than they are now. Um, and the following year, they were, they were also off to a decent start. But those were teams led by, you know, older Carmelo Anthony and Derek Rose the first time and, and Aaron Aflalo and Jose Calderon. Those weren't sustainable. We don't talk about those years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those were not sustained success, successes at all. The fact that this mm -hmm. team, you know, their best player is 26. Randall is 26. Um, RJ is 20. IQ is 21. Quickly is 21. Mitchell Robinson, who's been out and will be out a few weeks, is young. Um, it's very exciting that they are winning with young players. And that's barely playing um, their lottery pick, Obi Toppin. And they still have other picks coming and they still have cap space. So with all those things and the fact that they're winning with youth and the fact that they've developed some kind of an identity is very exciting. I still don't know what my expectation is because it still feels weird my brain understands that like they are in playoff contention. There's no question they're in it. And when I look at the East, other than Cleveland and Detroit, I can make an argument, and maybe Orlando at, at this point too. I think anybody else I can make, even Washington's resurgent. Um, Chicago is, is a good enough bad team that they're not out of, you know, out of the conversation for the 10 seed. Mm -hmm. I would say that um, I'm very curious to see how the Knicks, handle any injuries they were very healthy until Mitchell Robinson went down four of their five starters had started every game this year and the only position that that hasn't happened is because um, Thibodeau would play around with with um, Burks or Bullock Bullock at the three but they've been very very healthy when Mitch went down I thought they'd be in big trouble Maryland's Noel has been a really wonderful signing for them had a good game again tonight he's not Mitch but he's he's it's a lot better than having Taj Gibson as your backup center. Um, I think that if they stay healthy, I think they'll get in somewhere. Um, they'll be a low seed. It's an interesting controversy that's died down a little bit among Nick fans, at least on, on Twitter. <coughs> there's, there's some people who are really bothered in principle by this is the year that there's this transcendent draft class. Like, like there, there's a certain very, I mean, it's non pejoratively, but literally pathetic McFan who thinks that, oh my God, of course, the one year that they finally have success is when there's this incredible draft class. So they're going to, they're going to miss Cade Cunningham or Suggs or, or one of those guys to finish eighth and get crushed by the Sixers or the Nets or something. I have no objection at all to my team winning games with young players, the young players having the opportunity now to develop in, in situations that matter in the team getting to the playoffs and starting to get some sense of like, okay, what happens when you get to the second season? What are you doing over 82 games that may not translate when you get into a seven game series and what other moves do you have to make? I'm very happy if the Knicks get in, um, that would be to me in a season. I, I, I really thought that their upside was, you know, they would, they would push for the 10th seed. Um, but not really be a threat of any kind. I don't think the Knicks are a team that can beat the top teams in the East, but I don't think some of those teams necessarily would want to play them for seven games um, just because it's house money for them this year. They have a legit all-star who's playing that way on both ends. Mm. Um, I, I, I think, you know, if you play a Tom Thibodeau team, you, you know, certain things you're going to have <sighs> to contend with. I, I think that they can get to the first round and have an admirable exit. And that's not something I thought 
maybe two months ago was possible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of my read on them as well this year. Last. Okay. I, I know I said that was gonna be last one. I always think of something else. Uh, officially last one, because you asked me to, to, to write on this for your mailbag uh, over at the Strickland. Um, what is your thought on Mitchell Robinson and his future with the team? Um, Cause I know there's like been not reporting, but rumors uh, just on like his future with the team. Um, and what are your thoughts kind of on how he fits in? Cause obviously I, re- I mean, he's been fantastic against the Pacers when, when he plays, they always get killed by lob threats. Um, mm-hmm. He's still working on uh, being his consistency is what he's still working on, but the flashes are fantastic. Um, but, but how do you think he kind of fits in overall? I have concerns about Mr. Robinson that don't necessarily have to do with anything on the court. Um, he's, like I said this year, he's been able to stay out of foul trouble and 30 minutes of Mitchell Robinson a game is an impact. Um, the concern, like there, there's no one thing with Mitchell Robinson that's a concern. There's smoke in a lot of different areas that make me wonder, not that there's anything problematic about him at all as a person, but I think someone who, He's had, I think, now six agents, five or six agents in his brief career. Um, He went to college. He went to Western Kentucky, but left before um, he ever actually played there. And and it worked out for him, obviously. But um, Mitchell Robinson, there's always just enough stuff that's not about basketball. So a, a tweet that comes out after a game about, um, why won't they let, let uh, uh, basically it sounds like he's pleading to be allowed to do more and then it gets removed and you know you'll see like everyone Nick fan laughs about like workout Mitch is doing crazy dribbles and, and hitting threes left and right and in the game like he doesn't even look comfortable doing a handoff dribble handoff to someone I I and I and, and the big question also everybody loves Mr. Robinson because he's been criminally underpaid his whole career. Mm-hmm. He makes basically a million and a half dollars, or he did very recently. He has, I think, you know, the Knicks now have they can either extend him or um, pick him up for the last year of his deal, and then he'll be an unrestricted free agent. And the prospect of okay, Mr. Robinson and a million and a half dollars is very different than Mr. Robinson at fifteen to whatever he's going to ask for. I don't get the sense that Mr. Robinson is going to cut any kind of a deal i think he wants what he can get which is totally fair but i think as the knicks go forward um is and he's a brilliant defensive player but like you're gonna have to if you're gonna build around randall he's due very soon and he's making right now 20 million you have to assume that's going to go up closer to 30 um rj barrett is only going to be on his rookie deal a couple of years longer presumably you want to add some kind of quality free agents and then Mitchell Robinson wants 15 million plus. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've, there's no factual explanation for this, but I've always had a feeling that like Mitch will not stay on as the Knicks, not because there's not interest there, but I just feel like someone in the league who has money to burn is going to offer Mitchell Robinson, you know, 20 plus million or, or 20 million or and I, or they'll offer more, and I think he'll take it. Um, I would love to see him stay. Um, he's watching him grow has really been exciting. I just have a feeling that it won't happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. And uh, it's something that I think uh, it's a really interesting point to bring up in looking at team building and kind of how uh, quote unquote young cores develop as much as I hate that term because it gets thrown around at everything. Um, but 
it's just an important thing to factor in. Like how much of that young core is actually going to be there when they're a playoff team? Like mm-hmm. I always look at Atlanta as like a good point. Cause they, they made so many draft picks in I think just three years. Um, and I really like what they're doing for the most part. I, I did not love the Gallinari signing. Um, but I, I think you just look at them and they're like, I mean, yeah, there are already reports about well, what's going to happen with John Collins because are they're reportedly pretty far apart on, uh, on, oh, yeah. on, free agency talks um, and like just things like that, you know, like it's going to end up factoring in one or two of those guys is not going to be there. And that's the same thing with the Knicks. Um, I have no idea. It's a little bit different with the Pacers because they're all at a, a little bit more advanced in their timeline, but um, an interesting point to bring up. Um, Tom, do you have anything else that, that you think we should hit on the Pacers before we get out of here? Um, I think tomorrow being Sunday, uh, you know, Fans may want to hit, get on their knees and do a little extra <laughs> praying. Uh, the schedule is coming up is not looking good. Yeah. Um, and I know they're, they're, at this point with all the road games, they're kind of limping into this all-star break. But then after the all-star break, it's going to be bad. So um, hopefully it'll be healthier and, and fresh and ready to go. Um, but, you know, I do think they can figure it out. And, and you know, <laughs> yeah. I guess this is good news, but I mean they're not getting killed in yeah. games. I mean they're in every game. There's there's issues. There's self-inflicted wounds, and there's just it's just such a struggle. And like you were saying earlier, not fun to watch. Uh, but hell, they're <laughs> they're uh, they're in it. They're in it to the end at least. Um, and, and these games have been dropping of late. So um, you know, one win can can flip things around in a hurry. And I've seen that year after year around here. Um, it seemed to be phases in the season. And right now, we got to just survive and, and uh, try and get through March and and uh, still be in the mix. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they've dropped from fourth to, what, ninth now in, hey, in hey, uh, two it's days. Eighth. It's eighth currently. Could be ninth. Right now, basketball reference has it as eighth at uh, 15 and six. I, or 15 and seven. What I talk about. Never mind. It'll be ninth. You were right. Yeah, it's, sorry about that. Yeah. I got it. I got a little over, overzealous. It's, all, it's also uh, clogged up there that you know a two-game winning streak can have you up to fifth. You know, so um, right. Yeah, it's just you know, it, it'd be nice if they could hold on and, and be in that mix um, down the stretch here and and see if they can get healthy, but. Anyways, I think I've said that 15 times already this year. So <laughs> Hey, I mean, we're probably going to say it 15 times more. So, it's, you know, pre- prepare. And, and like you said, just I just picture Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Survive. That's, uh, that's basically where we're at right <laughs> exactly. now. So, uh, yeah, I, I do like, – I just have to, to say to, to everyone listening, of course, um, relax. I know that's uh, that's very difficult for people, on, on especially on Twitter. You must game, chill. Exactly. 100%. It's, I know it sucks that the team is 15 and, and 17 right now. It's not uh, how many people envision the team going this year. Um, there's injuries that happens. Two of the top five players in the roster are out tonight. Two of the, I mean, three of the top five players in the roster were out. Uh, TJ Warren might not play again this year. That's a very real possibility. Um, mm. Karis Levert, I have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes back, but it'll just be awesome that he is back. You got to set some realistic expectations for this year. Realize they are building towards something 
for the future. They've they've talked about that extensively, especially when Kevin Pritchard had his, his press conference after the Karis LeVert trade. He talked about they want to build something not just for this year, but for the next three or four years. They're trying to build something together, have continuity, and be a better organization for it, not just cobbling together year by year like they have over the past couple of years into a first-round exit. And you know what? Maybe they have a first-round exit this year. Maybe they don't make the playoffs this year. That's obviously that's far away. We, we don't know yet. It could be a very bleak March based on the schedule. But you got to keep level-headed and realize, A, this is just basketball. There are some things we can enjoy from it. I'm always going to bring up stuff that we can enjoy from it because there are really good things going on. Like Ed Sumner was great tonight. It's good seeing him play 17 minutes. He had fun. So I had fun. Um, just, just keep a level head. Remember that it's a long season and a lot can happen. And uh, there's no reason to think that Nate Bjorkren should not have been hired yet. I've uh, I'm, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to hit on that one. Uh, so Matthew, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you at? Uh, do you have anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Um, yeah, I am on Twitter at um, mmiranda613, uh, Jacobin Sports, at Jacobin Sports, is, uh, we'll drop our next episode, it's every week, usually Wednesdays, uh, the new episodes come out, and you can find my work at postingandtoasting.com and the strict.land, yes, there we go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man, Tom, of course. Thanks, man, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, dude, I'll, always enjoy talking to hoops. We'll, we'll we'll definitely i don't know did we play the next game this year this was uh no No, this this was the third game so that's it unless there's a playoff series who knows uh (laughs) yeah we'll see who knows but uh regardless we'll we'll definitely we'll we'll, we'll talk again uh sometime soon but thank you um yeah yeah thanks tom for you coming on as well uh to everyone listening thank you for listening thank you for uh listening to my inner monologue as always have a good rest of your night have a good rest of your day let's be out in the morning so have a good rest of your day Uh, Go Pacers and uh, yeah, have a good rest of your weekend.